In Psalm 115, the, the people are saying, where's your God? And the psalmist answers, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. That's the very definition of God. He'll get his will done. He's not up there wringing his hands, wishing he could get something accomplished. He will get it done. The determined will of God. 135th Psalm, I know that the Lord is great that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth and in the seas and in all deeps. Oh, praise God. One of the reasons we worship Him is that He is God. He can do it and He will do it. His determined will will be accomplished. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, The Will of God. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. By this will, God's will, I came to do it, Jesus said. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I'll tell you, it's the best statement I can make about the will of God. It's what Jesus did. And primarily, the references bring us back to what he did. Not just doing through life, though that's very true. He always did the things that please the Father. But he came to do thy will. He came to offer his life a ransom for many. He came to lay his life down a sacrifice for us. And by this will, by this cross of Jesus Christ, we are sanctified. Now... That's not only the key to life, but it is just almost instinctively known. When people think of God, even the unregenerate, if there's a God, they might say, you know, and they know there is, we should be doing His will. We're creatures. We should be doing His will. In fact, look over at John 9 if you're still there. Remember the blind man? Uh, He's a great illustration for us. We've already seen it in uh, other areas because, you know, we saw the need to have our eyes opened, and the blind man had just that. And after he'd come to the Lord, after his eyes were opened, he started to teach the Pharisees. And you remember they were saying, what do you say about him? He said, well, I don't know much. I know one thing. I was blind, and now I can see. And they, of course, didn't like that. That's verse 25. Um, they, they told him, verse 24, they, they didn't want to hear the truth about Jesus. This is the way a lot of people are today. They don't want to hear. They want to hear, but they don't want. You know, tell me about God, but don't tell me anything I don't want to hear. Tell me about God, but make it sure it fits into my preconceived notion of who God is. So they said, tell us, what happened here? And he said, well, you know. And they'd gone through this whole chapter as a picture of this. But at verse 24, the second time, they called the man who'd been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Well, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. They said, therefore, to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, because they'd already asked him and he'd told them. I told you already and you don't listen. Why do, what do you, why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? Whoa. <laughs> he knew they didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear about Jesus. He said, what do you keep wanting me to tell you? You want to become his disciples too? They reviled him and said, you're his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we don't know where he's from. They were religionists. They'd cling to their religion. 
but they spurned this man, Jesus. The man answered, verse 30, and said to them, Well, here's an amazing thing, that you don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know, look at verse 31, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. This fella just instinctively said, look, we know one thing. If anyone is God-fearing and does his will, God will hear him. And they knew that. You know that. People know that instinctively. You say, well, his eyes had just been opened. Yes, he's a great example for us. His eyes were opened. He was blind and now he can see. And he knows that he can now and we should and anyone who will do the will of God will be accepted by God. He says, listen, he'll hear you if you fear him and you do his will. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This man has realized who Jesus Christ is. And they said to him, you were born entirely in your sins, and are you teaching us? And they put him out. And you remember they went on to debate with Jesus on it, and the chapter closes with them still refusing to admit anything. And so they stayed in their blindness. Verse 41, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, your sin remains. You see, men fancy themselves able to see. They're really blinded. Men fancy themselves, and our generation is full of this, able to do their own will. And really, just as blind as the person who says he can see when he can't, so the person who says, I can do my own thing, is really... 2 Timothy 2, verse 26 tells us, held captive by the devil to do his will. Now, that's a strong statement. 2 Timothy 2, 26, people are ensnared by the devil, held captive by him to do his will. That's before you come to Christ. People say, I do my own thing, and they reject Christ. They're not doing their own thing. They're doing his thing, Satan's thing. They're doing his will. And it's sobering to realize that. People sing it. I mean, the world, you know, has its religion, even the secular world. And so they sing their religion. I got to be me. I did it my way. And they think they can do it their way. They think they can do their will. And you might be here and you've put off coming to Christ because you want to do your will, not God's will. You're not doing your will. And it's gradually becoming more and more evident and your life is becoming more and more boxed in because you're not really doing your own will. You're in bondage and you're doing the will of Satan and eventually it leads to complete and eternal bondage. Oh, come to Christ. Your eyes will be opened and you'll be able to do His will. Now, Jesus Christ came to set us free. When a man turns to the Lord, he's set free. There's liberty to do the will of God. When you present yourself as a Christian to Him, you will then begin to know and do the will of God. And that is the great goal of the Christian life, Christ-likeness. So I point out that Jesus Christ, and I repeat it, said, I always do the things that please Him. Turn over to Ephesians 5 and watch. 
You've got Romans 12 in your mind. He says, look, present yourself to God, a living and holy sacrifice, and you will know, you will discern, you will be able to do and prove out the perfect and good and acceptable will of God. Now, Ephesians 5, just as we saw earlier when we were looking at the blindness and the darkened mind, Ephesians 4 is a parallel description and gives us good reference. Well, Ephesians 5, he's stating the same truths. Starting at verse 8, he says, Look, you were formerly darkness. Now you're light in the Lord. That's the truth of the matter. We were darkness. Now we're light in the Lord. But he doesn't stop there. This is like the rest of Romans then. Walk as children of light. Christian, you were darkness, now you're light. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light, verse 9, consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. He uses the same Greek term there that's translated trying to learn. It is this same term from Romans, proving out, discerning, and then doing, getting to know and understand and then act on it, and you learn and prove out the will of God. Or here he says what? He just takes an attribute of the will of God, what is pleasing to the Lord. And that's another way we, we speak that way. What's my will? It's what I want. It's what pleases me. What is God's will? It's what he wants. It's what pleases him. And we are seeking to learn and know and do the will of God. And you glance across the page, and Ephesians 6 says it perfectly. And it's a great summary of the Christian life once again. Not, uh, you know, he's talking to slaves, and he says, don't be doing this thing just to keep your masters happy. Ultimately, your master's in heaven, and you... Look at verse the end of verse 6. You do this not as men-pleasers, but doing the will of God from the heart. To do God's will from the heart. That should be your goal at work tomorrow. That should be your goal, men, in leading your family. That should be your goal, women, to do the will of God from the heart. Children, that's your goal. That is the goal of the Christian life, to do the will of God from the heart. Now, this is so crucial. And this subject, there's so much confusion about it today, and I think there always has been. Uh, we tend to kind of make it harder than it is. And yet there's some need to really see some clarification. And so I want to, I want to stop and think on the will of God. And next time we'll take a deeper look at this, this whole issue. But I want to just briefly state that the theologians make a helpful distinction between the determined will of God on the one hand and the desired will of God on the other. And Romans has talked about both. The Bible speaks of both, and our lives will be blessed as we understand and grasp both the determined will of God and the desired will of God. Sometimes they speak of it as the plan of God, His plan and His pleasure. The secret will of God and the revealed will of God. They use different terms to distinguish it, but it's helpful. I want you to turn over to uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and uh, look at the determined will of God. And what we're talking about here is just this, God's sovereign ability to get it done, whatever he wants.
You know, in Psalm 115, and we saw this back in Romans chapter 9, but in Psalm 115, the, the people are saying, where's your God? And the psalmist answers, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. That's the very definition of God. He'll get his will done. He's not up there wringing his hands, wishing he could get something accomplished. He will get it done. The determined will of God. 135th Psalm. I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth and in the seas and in all deeps. Oh, praise God. One of the reasons we worship Him is that He is God. He can do it and He will do it. His determined will will be accomplished. And Ephesians 1, look at it, verse 11, He states it. Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. To introduce the subject of the will of God, and that's really what we're doing here, is to say this, listen, He works all things after the counsel of His will. Look at the language there, the determinative language in verse 11. We've been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. He piles the language on saying, God causes all things to work together for His will. To paraphrase Romans 8, He causes and does all things according to His predetermined purpose the determined will of God. And there is joy and peace and great security for the believer. And remember, verse 11 is the summary of what? What God has done from all eternity on our behalf. God's predetermined will, His purpose, His plan is to save you, Christian. And He's going to finish the job. He's not going to leave you half done. I'm confident of this very thing that He who began a good work and you will perfect it, Paul said. And so in Romans 8, we've already basked in this. He causes all things to work together for our good. To those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom He predestined, these He also called. And whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. Oh, bask in the determined will of God. The healthy Christian worships God for this. In fact, it is the basis for worship, the determined will of God. Thou art worthy, we sing, don't we? And in the heavens, when John saw into heaven, what did he say? Thou art worthy. Why? Because you created everything. Why? For your good pleasure. That's why you did it. And we're going to praise and worship Him forever. What about then the desired will? The desired will of God. This depends on our cooperation. And this refers to most of what the New Testament says. Most of what, or let me put it this way, usually... When the New Testament speaks of the will of God, it's referring to the desired will of God. Well, now, wait a minute, Scott. You said that He causes all things, the determined will of God. How do you mix those two up? The determined will of God and the desired will of God. I don't know. I don't know. 
And I'll tell you what, you beware of anybody who says they do know. To put these two together is beyond the finite capacity of our minds and hearts. We just simply reverently bow before Him. You say the determined will of God is going to get everything done, but at the same time, the desired will of God is dependent upon our cooperation. Of course it is. Every command of the Scripture is a command to do what? His will. And people don't do His will, right? Well, how can you say that, Scott? And some people puzzle over this and choose up some Christians. Stay in a constant quandary about this. Some choose up sides and move over to one side or the other almost completely and just say it can't be. The other one can't be because after all, and they refuse to let God be God. And some go to hell. I'm talking about Christians now. But they say, how can a good God who can do everything allow evil? I can't believe in a God like that. And they let this be their reason for shaking their little wicked fist at God. And they plunge into a Christless eternity because they say the problem of evil. And they let that be their excuse for failing to submit to God and honor Him as God and give thanks to His holy name for giving His Son. No, I can't explain it. But I can tell you this. We don't have to explain it. Jesus said, I didn't come to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. Now, in His particular case, the desired will and the determined will were perfectly the same. You know, His desires were always to do the things that please the Father. And His determined will was always part of the revealed will and the obvious will that Jesus filled. He always did the things that please the Father. So don't try to distinguish it or figure it all out. Uh, some of the confusion that Christians live in is because there's a, too much a desire to try to get this all nailed down in our little finite minds. But uh, just stop and let the Scripture speak. In Romans 12, now look back at our text, Romans 12 is primarily referring to, as I said, the desired will of God. He says, give yourself to me. Well, a lot of, a lot of Christians really don't, or he wouldn't be talking this way. A lot of Christians don't put themselves on the altar. Maybe you're here and you haven't really presented yourself to Him. He says, do so, so that you might prove out God's desired will. So that you might prove out the excellencies of what it means to follow Him. And in the coming weeks now, we're going to look at what it means, you know, and how to determine God's will and uh, how to know and understand it, because the Bible says we're trying to learn what's pleasing to the Lord. How do you learn what's pleasing to the Lord? And then what's the power for doing His will? But let me just summarize by saying this. The Christian, the Christian, every Christian really, he knows that the Bible's commands, the Bible's promises, the Bible's prayers even, all point to this purposeful desire of God to see us come to the image of Jesus Christ, to see us become more like Him, to see His will worked out in our lives. So he says in Ephesians 5, he says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. And then he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Or he says, in the Old Testament, in all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll make your path straight. Or Paul prays in Colossians, oh, I pray that they'd understand and be filled with the knowledge of His will so that 
they might walk in a manner worthy of their calling. And I pray that prayer all the time for people. And if you ever stuck for a prayer for me, pray Colossians 1, 9 and 10. Pray that I'd really be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that I'd walk in a manner worthy, that I'd live that way. Great prayer to pray for your kids. Great prayer to pray for your wife. Great prayer to pray for yourself. But, uh, and that's what Paul prayed in Colossians 1.9. You know, the Christian knows these things. The Christian knows that God does it all. Philippians 2.13. It's God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God is the one who does it, but we must cooperate. So he says, God is the one who's willing and working in your life to work things out for His good pleasure, but uh, we must cooperate. And in fact, it isn't just optional. We must do the will of God. Oh, they're going to come, Jesus said, and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and do that? Depart from me. I never knew you. Well, who will come into his presence? The one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Oh, it's imperative that you come to Jesus Christ and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and put your life at his disposal. It's imperative, Jesus said. Elsewise, there's going to be those coming saying, Lord, Lord, we've said a lot of things about you. He said, depart from me. I never knew you. But the wise man who built his house on the rock is the one who did the will of my Father who's in heaven, Jesus Christ said. Don't love the world, John wrote. And other things in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, it's all passing away. But the one who does the will of my Father abides forever. 1 John 2. 17. So the Christian prays for God's will. Jesus said, when you pray, pray that way. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Christian longs for, he seeks to learn the will of God, and then he desires to implement it. He wants to understand it and do it. And I can't have a better closing, I don't think, to the first look at this subject, really, than turn over to Hebrews 13 and look at it with me. Don't miss how central this is to what we're here for. So that when the author of Hebrews closes with this great benediction, he says, verse 20, Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will. Working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory forever and ever. Amen. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Will of God, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. 
It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Most of the New Testament references deal with what God desires, His will, what He wants. It's not that He's going to force it, that He's going to accomplish it all. That's speaking of the determined will of God, and we talked about that. But today I want to talk about, as Romans 12 is mainly emphasizing, and most of the references we'll look at, what God wants. He wants you to come to Him. He's got his arms wide open. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, the Bible says. This is the will of him who sent me, Jesus said. We looked at it last time in John 6:40. That of all who behold me, whoever beholds me and believes in me, I'll give eternal life to them. He wants you to be saved. He loved the world so much that he sent his son. And whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part three of the message titled, The Will of God. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 